0: Welcome again. So glad to have each of you here. And today is week number three in our teaching series, a brief six-week series on lies we listen to. I think this is such an important uh, series because I think we all, whether we admit it or not, listen to a lot of lies, a lot of things that just bombard us in ways that are not, not that helpful. Uh, a very popular Uh, TED Talk entitled Lie Spotting says that the average person, get a hold of this, hold on to your chair. I don't want anybody falling off. Hold on to your chair. The average person is lied to between 10 and 200 times a day. 200? You got to be kidding me. And, of course, that involves, you know, all the sorts of social media and television and print media and, you know, all the voices that kind of flood our mind. But that's a lot of lying. How is that not going to impact the way that we think and uh, live our life? And the question throughout this series is what lies are you listening to? What lies are you allowing to diminish you, distract you, disrupt you, defeat you in one way or another? What are the lies that you are listening to? You know, who are you listening to that says your marriage and family can't improve, your circumstances can't get better, uh, you know, your faith can't grow, you know, who or what are you listening to that's taking you down? And we're asking God throughout this series to give us spiritual discernment, to give us real eyes to realize the real lies that are destroying us and wreaking havoc on our life. Now, we've been talking about five sources of lies, and uh, you could probably add to this, but Satan, you know, we lie to ourself. You know, our circumstances communicate, you know, foreboding messages to us. We listen to society. We listen to other people. You know, these are five different sources that can really weigh heavy on our psyche, our mind, our spirit, our heart. And, uh, you know, which are you, you know, most susceptible to? You know, I think of the first people, Adam and Eve. And we often say to ourselves, even though we may not admit it, how could they be so dumb? They're listening to the serpent saying, hey, you can become like a god. I would never fall for that. And yes, we, and yet we fall for lies all the time. You know, say, we, we believe we're useless. We believe we're worthless. We believe we're helpless. We believe we're hopeless. We believe this. We believe that. We believe whatever. You know, we're listening to lies all the time. In this series, we're looking at six different lives. And we've looked at, uh, after today, the three, uh, you know, first three, you know, You know, week number one, we talked about I am useless, and we talked about the lad with the lunch. Very insignificant guy, has a few fish and a few pieces of bread, and Jesus multiplies it and feeds the 5,000. And the interesting result of his story is that he gave what he had, he, he served where he could, and he obeyed when asked. You see, usefulness is never about value, it's about obedience. And the young man obeyed. And so must we. You know, last week we talked about hopelessness and we talked about the guy who was tormented in the tombs. You know, he was chained up and, and uh, you know, he was an outcast and nobody wanted to deal with him. And he would cut himself and cry every night. And, and it was just the worst story you could imagine. And yet Jesus comes on the scene. And this hopeless, hopeless man all of a sudden is gave, given great hope in Jesus Christ. And Jesus heals him. And the demons are driven out, and he is made completely whole. Today, we're going to talk about a paralyzed fellow who, for 38 years, was lame. And he felt helpless. In fact, the Bible says when Jesus starts talking to him, he says, I have nobody to help me. You ever felt helpless? You ever felt trapped, stuck in a circumstance where there's no way out? The Bible says in Philippians 4.19, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So is it what Jesus says, what the Bible says, Paul in this case, I can do all things through Christ? Or is it I'm absolutely helpless? What's, what's true? We say we're helpless. The Bible says we're not. What is it? We need to listen more to what Jesus says, what the Bible says, more than we listen to the lies of the world. We need to understand who we are and whose we are in Jesus Christ. Don't listen to the lies. I put together this uh, word cloud that I have on the screen each week, and uh, you know, we tend to minimize and agonize and downsize and euthanize ourselves in so many different ways, and we need to stop it. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, stop listening to lies. Go ahead and do that. Point... (laughs) your finger right in their face. Stop listening to the lies. That's right. You ever felt like you're on a hamster wheel just going around obsessing over something or you're on a treadmill just you know, running but not getting anywhere and when you step back you go, you know what, I'm listening to things that just aren't true. I'm obsessing over things that just aren't true. I'm not worthless. I'm not useless. I'm not insignificant. I'm not a loser. I'm not a failure. And yet we obsess over and over again. I can hear some in, in the crowd here today saying, you know, Robert, are you saying we should deny our reality? No, I'm asking you to celebrate your reality in Jesus. Who are you in Jesus? Spend more time thinking about that than you do the lies. Now, last week I had a very famous theologian help me in the sermon. How many have heard of my dog, Rex? Uh, and what did Rex tell us last week? He said, don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie. And he likes to go to the water and wants me to throw sticks. And we have this game. I throw sticks. He retrieves them. He brings them in. I throw sticks. It's really fun. Until I find a piece of petrified wood that sinks. (laughs) And then he looks back and he's barking and yelping at me saying, don't lie to me. Throw me sticks that float. This is a game. I'm a retriever, not a scuba diver. Throw me sticks that float. And, you know, we have these conversations back and forth. He's a very, very capable theologian. (laughs) And uh, he's saying to all of us here, "Don't buy the lie." You know, sticks that are thrown look like they're supposed to float, but they don't all float. What are we listening to? That's not real. Where don't we realize the real lies from the real truth? I think this is so so important. We need to think about it. God gave us real eyes to realize the real eyes, the real. Uh, give it uh, the real lies. I read an article here this week that I thought was a uh, kind of a good springboard for where we want to go here in a minute, and it was an article written by uh, a college baseball player uh, out of uh, Stanford, and uh, I I thought, you know, he had some good things to say, and he, and he, he listed a few lies under this category, the most dangerous lies we tell ourselves. He says, when I get X, then I'll be happy. You know, we think, hey, if I get these external things, then I'll be happy. But really, happiness is all about the internal. I don't have time for X. Well, life is a matter of priorities. We all have time for the things that are most important if we prioritize them. Someone will be there to save me. Well, it reminds me of something I learned many years ago, uh, the rule of the river. If we're in a boat and we fall overboard, we need to become an active participant in our own rescue. How many see the picture there? We need to start paddling, you know, and reaching for a lifeline. Um, you know, we, we tell ourselves all sorts of lies. Um, I'm not capable of X. Well, self-defeating language is a self-fulfilling prophecy. I know exactly what I'm doing. You know, overconfidence is never a really great thing. I'll do X later. We need to fight the rule of procrastination. Hey, they're just getting lucky. You know, whenever we're demeaning other people to elevate ourselves. That's a bad sign. To demean is to be mean and not a good way to live. I'm just waiting for the perfect moment to do X. He says, do it now. If it's worth doing, do it now. I'm too late to do X, whatever that situation is. I love this statement. You've all read it and heard it before. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is when? Now. Now. This is just who I am. That is a cop-out. When's the last time you've used that? We need to change and grow. How many out there know you need to change and grow? We all need, know we need to change and grow. To say, well, I'm just not good at that. That's a cop-out. We need to understand toxic self-talk is really damaging. Well, there are so- lots of lies that we listen to, and there's lots of lies that we tell ourselves. And we need to ask God to give us spiritual discernment, give us real lies to realize the real lies. And the sermon in a sentence here today is simply this. Because Jesus is always with me, I am never, ever, ever helpless. Oh, I may feel helpless. I may feel all alone. It might seem like what I'm going through is just insurmountable. It may feel like nobody cares, but there's always somebody. There's always one, capital O-N-E, one. His name is Jesus, who cares and knows and wants to help us. Where do you feel most vulnerable today? Where do you feel helpless today? Where are you most, what are you most anxious about today? Listen. Listen. During times of difficulty, things can get especially blurry. Ask Jesus to give you clarity. Asking me to give you real eyes to realize the real lies. Today we make our way to John chapter 5, and I want to start with a map. This is a map of Jerusalem. You see the circle at the top, that's the pool of Bethesda, and that's where this story takes place in John chapter 5, at the pool of Bethesda, an invalid is laying there, been uh, paralyzed for uh, 30, uh, 38 years. Uh, Lisa and I are getting ready to lead a uh, crew to the uh, Holy Land, as a shared before, 44 of us, and so uh, I'm just really, really fascinated again as I get back into this, you know, all that there is uh, to see about uh, Jerusalem. In this next map, you'll see the Via Della Rosa, which kind of starts right there at the Lion Gate, you see in the top right-hand corner, there's a red mark, that's the Lion Gate, sometimes called the Sheep Gate, sometimes called the Shepherd Gate, and you find the Via Della Rosa, that white line that leads Jesus from the place of imprisonment to the place of his crucifixion. Uh, You have the Stations of the Cross. In fact, I'm right now writing our uh, series, our Easter series, which is on Lent, Draw Close to God, on Lent. We start on February 19th, and it's just going to be a powerful series as we just focus on what Christ has done for us and what he's called us to be as we make our way toward Good Friday and Easter Sunday and just all the things that are so precious to our faith. But, you know, here we just see, uh, you know, the, the the picture of of Jerusalem, and uh, it, it's really, really powerful. And I want to just talk about um, uh, the pools of Bethesda for a few moments. You know, uh, at the site of the pools of Bethesda is something called St. Anne's Church. And I want to just share, for all you history buffs out there, you'll appreciate this. Those of you that aren't history buffs, maybe put it in neutral for just a second. But, uh, you know, it's an interesting fact, you know, uh, during, during the Roman period, which would be during Jesus' time, um, there was a shrine that kind of was a syncretic shrine uh, elevating the gods of healing from both the Greeks and the Egyptians. And where this story takes place was a Roman shrine of healing. Just let that sink in for a moment. A Roman shrine for the cult of the god of healing. I find it amazing. Here's a guy that had been paralyzed for 38 years. He's there by these curative waters uh, where there's a Roman shrine of healing, and none of that works except for who? Jesus. The divine healer Jesus comes on the scene at a place where others thought healing was going to take place. Now, a little bit of history. A Byzantine basilica was built over the remains of the shrine in the 5th century. It was destroyed by the Persians in 614 and then rebuilt. St. Anne, the church that's there right now, was built during the Crusader period, about 1131 to 1138. And unlike many of the other Crusader churches, was not destroyed when uh, uh, Saladin came in. It, it remained uh, you know, pretty steadfast. Uh, fast forward way down the road to 1856 in appreciation For the French support during the Crimean War, the Ottoman sultan presented Napoleon, St. Anne's Church. Well, the French were pretty excited about it. And so they rushed architects, a guy by the name of Mauss, M-A-U-S-S, to take over the church. So you could say there was a mouse in the church or a mouse in the house. Uh, And he went and he rebuilt the church. And while working on the renovations, he came across the vestiges of the pool, uh, you know, the Bethesda pools. He discovered this while he's working on St. Anne Church. It's just uh, amazing to me when history and science and geography and the Bible all come together. I always find that just so fascinating. And I always ask myself, who in their right mind would never believe the Bible? And yet I know there's a lot of people that wouldn't, so there's that. But uh, it's just really, really a powerful story. And that's the backdrop of our uh, message here today. So let's dive into John chapter 5. Sometimes later, Jesus went up, To Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now we don't know if it was Passover or what exactly. Many think it might have been. Uh, But notice it says you go up to Jerusalem. Now just think for a moment. He's coming from Galilee. That means he's going south. Why does it say he's going up to Jerusalem? Many of you know that Jerusalem's built up on a hill. So no matter what direction you're coming from, you're always going up to Jerusalem. And so that's where Jesus was headed. And there in Jerusalem, near the sheep gate, you know, that circled area on the map we looked at earlier, there was a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored colonnades, covered colonnades. And so this is a pretty, pretty powerful, potent area that was very, very visible. Here a number of disabled people used to lie: the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And there was one, the one that Jesus zeroed in on, who had been an invalid for thirty-eight years. Now just think of the pain and the horror and the difficulty and the challenge that that man experienced. When Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time and he said, do you want to get well? Now that question might seem a little foolish or simple, but it really wasn't in that day because Sometimes those that were invalid or paralyzed or had some physical uh, uh, disability uh, were able to kind of use that to their advantage as beggars to collect resources. They had no other way uh, for their livelihood, and so that was kind of a big thing. And so Jesus didn't just assume. He asked the guy, uh, you know, do you want to get well? And notice the answer of the invalid. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. He says, I'm helpless. The waters stir, and there's always someone that sneaks in before me. Here I am at the shrine of healing. The waters are supposed to heal me. The shrine's not doing it, and I can't get into the water. Nothing's working. It's not working. And Jesus took his answer as a yes. And he said, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Walk. Can you imagine being there and watching that happen? Hear this dude paralyzed for 38 years, and you're aware of that, and all of a sudden, some new person comes on the scene. They didn't know Jesus. And he says, hey, pick up your mat and walk. The guy immediately gets up. I mean, how many are going to faint in your tracks? I might do a cannonball right into the pool, you know, just kind of flabbergasted by it all. Pick up your mat and walk. And what does it say here? At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. That day which was the Sabbath, and the Jewish leaders said to the man who had healed him, it's the Sabbath. You can't carry your mat. The guy says, hey, I'm just doing what I sold. I've, I've been paralyzed for 38 years. Some fellow said, pick up my mat and walk. If you would have healed me and said, don't pick up my mat and walk, I would have followed your advice, but I'm following his. <laughs> it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that some of the rules of religion kind of smack right into The joy and peace that Jesus brings? Jesus just wanted to heal the guy. Sabbath or not? You know, the Bible says in the Gospel of Mark, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We weren't created to have another rule to try to follow. The Sabbath was meant to encourage us and teach us about rest, Sabbath rest and all that comes with that. He said, the man who made me well said, pick up my mat. I don't even know who he is. Verse 14 says, Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, Hey, see, you're well again. Now stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Jesus was concerned about his physical condition, but he was far more concerned about his spiritual condition. He wanted him to be healed spiritually, he wanted him to turn himself completely over to God. And I have a feeling he probably did for the rest of his life. It's a powerful story, it's an amazing story. Three sources of healing. The religious shrine of the Socratic gods of the Greeks and Romans, the curative waters that they believed in, and Jesus. But only one is the divine healer. Only one is the miracle worker. Only one can help us. His name is Jesus. Only one can help us today, and his name is Jesus. I want you just to sit and soak in this story for a minute, not in the pools of Bethesda, don't go there, but I want you to sit and soak in this story and just really kind of think about it for a moment. I want you to apply the message to your own life. This is a portrait of helplessness. Jesus says, you want to get healed? He says, I got no one to help me. He was helpless. I want you just to think about this man. He felt he was helpless and powerless. 38 years will do that for you, but notice this. Our feelings and the facts are not always the same. We may feel something, but the fact of God's Word, the fact of Scripture can be very different. He believed that nobody cared. Don't buy the lie. There's always somebody that cares, capital S. He is the Savior. He is the Redeemer. He is Jesus Christ. He needed help, but there was no one to help him. There's always somebody. He knew that things would never change. Jesus brings change. He bought the lie that things would never improve. We need to make sure we're not buying any lies. He was stuck in a rut of helplessness. He was stuck in the routine and the ritual. It had become a religion to him. I cannot be helped. I am not going to get better. This is the way it will be forever and ever. His conditions and his circumstances told him one thing. But Jesus told him altogether something different. What does this story mean to you today? You say, Rob, this is really kind of a, a great story of how God healed a fellow a long time ago, and, and that's great. But what does it mean to you today? I want to challenge you to think about it the way I'm thinking about it. And what this story means to me can be built around five different words. Truth, compassion, trust, faith, and purpose. The first one, truth. We've already said we may feel helpless, but the truth is we're never truly helpless because Jesus is with us. You know, one of the great, great challenges that people face is the problem of pain and suffering. How could a good God allow me to be paralyzed for 38 years? Either he's not good... Or he's not great. He can't heal me. And people struggle, struggle, struggle. And I don't have all the answers as to why pain and problems occur. But I know that God can help us. And sometimes he helps us over it by healing us. Sometimes he helps us through it by giving us the strength to endure it and persevere. Truth. We may feel helpless, but we're never truly helpless. Secondly, Jesus is our healer and helper and encourages us to cast our cares on him. Compassion, empathy, love, mercy, grace. Have you ever been at a time where you need compassion and empathy and love? Not someone beating on you? Anybody else out there besides me? All three of us. Okay, great. Uh, Let's move on to the next point. No, compassion, empathy. We need to give it And we need to receive it. And Jesus is the compassion giver. Deciding where to place our trust, we have a trust issue. A lot of us don't trust other people. A lot of us don't trust this, don't trust that, don't trust that. The one person we must trust, the one person we absolutely need to trust, is Jesus Christ. We must trust him. We must trust him in all things, at all times, in all ways. We need to have faith. Jesus says to the man, listen, make sure you don't sin anymore. Get right spiritually. Getting healed physically is great, but you need to get healed physically or spiritually. rather. Make sure you put your faith in God. Put your belief in God. Jesus says, turn to me and believe in me with your whole heart. And then the final thing, the final thing that jumps out to me, is we are to live, love, lead like Jesus, which means we must help other people. And that's what the purpose point is all about, at least for me. We're talking today about building a culture of life. We're talking today about reaching out and being a blessing and a ministry and a help to other people. God wants to use us and make us usable, and he wants us to be a blessing. Our purpose on earth is not just to kind of, you know, sit around and, you know, have ideas about what other people need to do. We need to be about doing what we need to do. Find a hurt and heal it. Find a need and meet it. Find someone needing encouragement and encourage them. So ask yourself today, ask yourself today, how can I make myself more available to be used by Christ in ways I haven't before? Do not sell yourself short. Do not minimize your impact. Do not minimize your influence. God wants to use you. Let me close with an illustration, actually, a story of someone in the Bible. We all know the story of Job, and we all know that here's a guy that had everything, and then poof, he has nothing. I mean, he loses his family. He loses all of his land, all of his resources, all of his assets. He loses his health eventually. And here's what he says in Job 1, 20 and 22. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. How do great men and women of the Bible withstand the adversities and challenges of life, the helpless episodes, the hopeless episodes of life, how do they withstand that and somehow retain their faith and even see their faith grow? How do they do that? And as I look at it and I think about it, I think of at least four things in Job's case and in many others in the Bible. They Believed in God's goodness. They anchored in God's wisdom. They relied on God's strength. And they rested in God's presence. They believe in God's goodness. He's never, ever, ever the author of evil. Now, he can be the answer for whatever we're going through, but he's not the author of it. That is a priori. That is absolute belief. We believe that with our whole heart. Secondly... Job anchored in God's wisdom. He says, you know, I wouldn't have signed up for this, but God's ways are always best. His wisdom is always real, and I trust him. They relied on God's strength. Abraham and Moses and Job and Esther. They relied on God's strength, both, as I mentioned earlier, to overcome, but also to persevere through. Not everyone is healed after 38 years, Some have to power through with the strength of God day by day. And these Bible greats rested in God's presence, knowing that he will never, ever, ever leave me. He will never, ever, ever forsake me. He is with me every step of the way. So I want to ask you, as you go through the adversities and the challenges and the hopelessness and the helplessness and the worthlessnesses of life, you will fall to the level of your principles. What are the principles that guide your life? What are the principles of your faith? What are the principles of your theology? What do you believe like you don't believe anything else? What do you believe is absolutely, always absolutely true? I'll tell you what I believe. I believe in God's goodness. I anchor in God's wisdom. I rely on God's strength. And I rest in God's presence. No matter what happens, I can't forecast the future very well. I can't predict what's coming around the corner. There's a lot of things I don't know, and there's a lot of things you don't know. There's a lot of things I don't control. There's a lot of things you don't control. But one thing we can do is we can believe in God's goodness, we can anchor in God's wisdom. We can rely on God's strength and we can rest in God's presence. Would you bow your heads with me as we close? Where do you need God's help today? God helped a man who for 38 years had been paralyzed, lame, a paraplegic, of whatever nature, we're not exactly sure, but his was a really difficult life. And he said, I have nobody to help me until Jesus came on the scene and helped him. I'm thinking today of real people in our church that are going through some really, really heavy things, some really, really challenging, difficult things. How about you today? What are you going through? Where do you need God's help? What challenges are you facing? Jesus knows. Jesus cares. I'm thinking of families who or grieving the loss of a loved one. I'm thinking of various individuals that are going through a divorce and their entire world has been broken into many, many pieces. I'm thinking of people going through financial setback because of a job loss or something else and things are really hard. I'm thinking of people whose future plans have been disrupted, people whose disappointments have become so grave and impactful in their life. People whose fears and anxieties and regrets are almost insurmountable. How about you today? Where do you need God's help? He cares about you. He has the strength and power to help you. I invite you to turn to him. In fact, with every head bowed and every eye closed, how many would raise a hand and say, Pastor Rob, please include me in this closing prayer. I need God's help today. Just hold it high. In one area or another, my hand's up here as well. I need God's help today. Just lift it to God as a testimony of your belief and faith and trust in him. God, I need your help in this, that, or the other thing. I need your help. Help me think clearly. Help me overcome this physical condition. Help me with wisdom, help me financially, help me with this relationship, my marriage, my family. God, you know what every specific detail is about every hand that is raised right now. And God, we believe that you are able to do abundantly beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. And we pray that the same God who healed a man Who is paralyzed for 38 years will minister to the needs of every single person in this place right here, in the chapel for traditions, those listening online. We believe in a God that can do the miraculous and the impossible. He can give us the strength to overcome. He can give us the strength to power through. Our God is able. And because of Christ, we are never, ever helpless. Maybe you're here today and you're sensing, I need to commit my life to Jesus Christ. I want to become a Christ follower of this empathetic, compassionate, caregiving, loving, merciful, gracious God. Or maybe you've known the Lord through the years, but you've kind of strayed. And today you want to recommit your life to Christ. I invite you to do that right here and now, just even as I'm praying. Just pray a prayer of commitment. Lord, I commit my life to you. Jesus, I recommit my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you and put you first in my life. And friends, if you do pray that prayer, a prayer of commit or recommitment, please fill out that connection card. Let me know about it. Drop it in the black box as you leave or complete it online or in the chapel. Let me know about that. I want to be praying for you this week. I want to be praying for you this week. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your mercy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to sing a closing song. I'm going to ask our host in the chapel and online to uh, take charge of those respective services. But right now, I want to invite our prayer team to come forward. And as we sing this song, I want to invite you to come forward for prayer. Maybe you want to bring forward a need that you're grappling with, or maybe you want to stand in for someone that's near and dear to you. Uh, We believe around here in the power of prayer and in the power of God to minister to our needs. So let's sing. Come as we sing. God bless you, everybody.